and welcome to Guru Live. Um, this session is on moving up in TV. My name is Naomi Sese, and for this session, we're going to discuss those th first three years working in the industry, focusing on skills development and managing yourself as a freelancer. TV is a, a very special medium in the creative industries, and I, for one, have been in TV for over 30 years, and I'm absolutely still fascinated by it because of its power and because it actually changes lives and it changes behaviors. And so my first question to um, our panelists is why? What's the passion? What was the pull of TV? What made you want to become um, a producer, a writer, director, head of talent, executive producer? What was it? So let's start with, let's start with you. Oh gosh, I sort of was hoping you'd start with me in a way on this one, because I'm sure lots of people have got really you know, good stories about telling passionate stories and, and, and all the things that I feel now, the privilege that I have to tell people's stories every single day. But actually, um, I was on course, I, I worked in a law firm and I was going to go into intellectual property law and sort of just had one of those moments where one summer I just thought, what am I doing? This is not what I want to do. I don't want to work nine to five. This is hideous. It's really office based and it's not very sociable and all of this kind of stuff. And so um, I was probably on track to probably get richer doing that, but um, knew that I wanted to do something a lot more fun and was prepared to work from the bottom up and I didn't care that I wasn't going to earn any money for ages and it was the best decision I ever made. So rather selfishly, my first feeling was not because I wanted to entertain and change opinions and it was purely because I wanted to do something that was um, not nine to five, varied and, and fun. It continues to, to be that. So yeah. And Grace, that was actually the same kind of experience yeah. for you, but you went into medicine, which again helps people. What was the switch of becoming a writer? So I always loved writing stories. And I think in medicine, there are lots of similarities actually to the TV industry. What I did notice as a doctor was you could give the same advice to people about things to do to improve their lives or their health. <laughs> and there'd be an episode of EastEnders and they'd come in and be like, oh my God, I need that thing that that person had because it helps them. So TV is powerful and can be much more powerful at educating people and changing their lives in a way that you know other kind of fields aren't. So that's one of the things that I really love about, about TV, that you have the, the opportunity and the privilege of telling stories that you know might otherwise not be heard. I think in medicine you hear a lot of people's stories and people come to you often at the worst, most emotional times in their lives. And I think with TV, you can create some of that and show people a whole world that they don't otherwise get to see or experience. Yeah. And Sam, as head of talent for Sony Entertainment, um, you're responsible for actually finding that talent that's going to portray something that's going to perhaps you know, change a social discourse or shift a paradigm. How, what was was that the attraction for you? What how did you what, you know what was it that got you into the position you are now? Well, actually, I like Joe started off doing law, and then I just wanted to do something that was creative and not spend my whole entire teens and twenties in a library. Um, so when I came into TV, I thought that I wanted to be a development in development, and actually, uh, before I became um, head of talent, I was in production management. And the lovely thing about TV is it doesn't matter. Where you are in TV, there's always the chance to be creative. In production management, I found that we had to deliver something editorially and you had to look at the budget and how can we achieve that? What can we do? So it's really the opportunity to be creative. Yeah. Eleanor, what's your experience? Well, I, I 
I did my first job in television. I worked on a show called The Trisha Show, which a lot of you will be too young to remember. It was a tap show. Um, I was a runner when I finished school because my friend got me a job on it. And I thought, I don't want to make these kinds of programmes, but I want to tell people stories. And I went to university and studied broadcasting. I did a documentary module and it was just straight away, this is it. I need to tell stories about people. I need to connect with people. And then I just finished university and started the bottom. But it was, you know, there were, at that time, there wasn't an industry like there is now with the feature documentaries. Mm-hmm. If you were going to make documentaries, it was going to be in television. And I think things have shifted quite a lot now, but that was the space where you went to learn your craft, was in, te- was in television, and you started at the bottom and you worked your way up, and you learned how to tell stories about people. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Um, well, I didn't study law or medicine, um, <laughs> and uh, they didn't study broadcasters. I think maybe my degree wasn't as useful. Um, uh, I studied English literature, and it, basically I wanted to get in television after watching Brass Eye on Channel 4, and I thought, okay, this is a program that is um, people are talking about, like people are talking about it. And um, that initially made me think, I'd quite like to make things that people talk about, and in turn, then shaping and changing that conversation that they're having. And that was quite a powerful feeling as probably like a teenager or something. I was thinking, how do I do that? And then television sort of seemed like the, the natural path to make programs that would entertain, but also make people think and maybe change stuff. I thought that was basically it. And I sort of then ended in television. That's great. Anyone have parents who made them do law or medicine? Yeah? <laughs> um, well, actually, would have preferred me to do that. <laughs> so it just shows that anyone who has that passion and that story that they want to get out can get into the creative industries, which is great. But I want to go to you, um, Eleanor. Um, tell me a little bit about the BAFTA Breakthrough Brit um, scheme that you've, yeah. you've got on. Well, I think we all probably know that one of the hardest things in this industry is the sort of competition especially as a director, um, it's not made any easier by being a female director often, particularly when I was starting out. I think things are starting to change. You sort of need to stand out from the crowd and you want, and you want to stand out from the crowd because you want to get the best work. You want to make the best films you can possibly make. And getting something like the BAFTA Breakthrough Brit, your, your name is suddenly out there. That is one of the biggest things about it, is that you have this organisation, and it shouldn't be needed, it shouldn't be needed, but it is. You have this organisation that's saying, this is someone to look at, this is someone who's doing well, can we take notice? And it is like a massive relief when you've been sort of struggling to get the sort of work that you want to get, to have something like that. And then you get to meet, you can literally send them a name of anyone that you want to meet. And then they write to them and they say, this person wants to meet you. And then you meet up with people that can give you amazing advice. And you're on it with other creative people. And that's been one of the biggest things for me, is that they have taught me that sometimes I've limited my scope of where I want to get to. And so when you're meeting film directors and, and writers that are, part, that are on the scheme with you, they're suddenly making you think, maybe I could do that. So yeah. it sort of, it gets your name out there. It opens up your, your, your sort of vision of the world, yeah. which I think mine has sometimes been quite narrow. I, limit, I limited myself in terms of what I could do. Yeah, and that's really important for those females who want to be directors. We need a lot more, right? We need a lot more directors, female directors um, out there. So, you know, like the BAFTA breakthrough, and we have the other schemes which we'll talk about that actually, you know, pull female directors in in order to, um, you know, make a mark in the creative industries. Grace, you did the um, Elevate, the yeah. BAFTA Elevate. Tell us a little bit about that. So similarly, it's BAFTA 
putting their kind of seal of approval on you and putting you out there in the industry and saying that these are, so I did it with a group of um, 18 writers and we had a tailored kind of program over the course of the year where we had workshops with like really, really good industry professionals. We met broadcasters, commissioners, producers. They did like speed dating sessions for us and matched us up with people they thought tonally we would get on with. And again, if they, um, if we wanted to meet anybody, they would arrange those meetings for us. So it was an incredible opportunity. And it was one of the first times that I felt like I'm actually a professional writer. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they do a great job of kind of getting talent that might be struggling to get their work out there and supporting you to get to the next kind of level in your career. Okay, great. Sean, as head of talent, you, you look for specific skills, especially like soft skills and technical skills, but there's also those personal, interpersonal skills as well. Tell us, how do you go about selecting talent for Sony? Well, it's quite often we'll have a job come up and then we will kind of, either people have emailed me and I'll take a look at their CV and we'll invite people in for a chat or um, what is actually an interview. But people say, come in for a coffee or a chat, but it's, it's an interview. It's quite informal. Though, it is. A... Um, so when selecting talent, I mean, the first thing to say is do your research about the company. Know what show you're coming in about or if it's a general chat, do your research about what sorts of shows that company make and then they will ask you several things about kind of like oh we need this sort of skill so organized um, say what have you ever been in a situation where you need to be organized and it's having those examples ready kind of thinking oh I might not have worked in TV before but I've worked in customer services or I've worked doing this job and it's having those transferable examples. Um, also things like teamwork, everybody's probably worked in a team at some point or another. And teamwork is so important to production, you know, it, it really is a team effort. And when you're looking at people who are just entering the industry, you kind of really notice the people that will go the extra mile and just stay late and help out or there's a problem coming up with solutions. So those are the sorts of things that we look for, kind of organisation, teamwork, good communication skills. If you finish something or you're having an issue with something, make it known to people. So the way you can demonstrate in that in an interview is having those examples ready of your transferable skills. Right. Joe, as a net exec, how do you look for? Yeah, so, um, I mean, we're fortunate. I've got a really young team at BBC Three and, we, and our job is to develop on-screen talent but also to develop cam... Um, talent behind the camera and so my sort of responsibility I think is to make sure that by the time anyone leaves our department they've gone up a level or they've uh, they've moved on so the thing I'm looking for mostly is sort of exactly exactly what Sean's saying sort of keenness like desire to work hard and you'd be surprised actually because you're all sitting here really keen and and you know you've come to this event on the weekend so obviously you want to to do this but the amount of people who come in you know, they might have finished what they were doing, but they've not told anybody they've got nothing else to do. And it's just, you really spot the, the ones rise to the top all of the time, the ones who come up and say, do you know what, I think I could take on a bit more, or would you like me to try a bit of this, or shall I do that? And just a willingness and a sort of passion. And exactly, again, like you were saying, knowing what they're coming to do, because the amount of people that I interview for things, 
who have never watched anything on BBC Three, whereas I went for my interview and I probably watched about, you know, 50 hours of you know, just like swatting up on who they are and what's their ethos and genuinely wanting to work there because if they don't make the kind of content that you want to make, it's probably worth waiting out and really pushing and sending your CV to the kind of companies you do want to work for rather than just doing that thing of like massive email out to hundreds of companies. Instead, just bespoke... 30 emails with lovely cover letters that, that praise them on their content. And the reason I like this is I'd love to work for a company that make things like this because I care passionately about X, Y, and Z. Um, and I think they stand out because you get loads of CVs in and you can feel, you can just spot a mile off those generic cover notes that have gone to hundreds of people. And, you know, we're just human and we don't, we don't hire by algorithm so as a human, you're looking at that and actually the people that say, what you make is amazing and I want to make some of that, just you're, you're automatically going to go straight to open their right. CV. But talking about CVs, how many of you have had a perfect CV, you thought, and still got a rejection letter, right? Be honest, right? quite a lot of us. So how do you make your CV pop? You know, yeah. that CV, you know, you don't want it with loads of colours and, you know, no. stuff like that. How, how do you make that CV pop? So I think over-design over is one of the most sort of put-off put things, like... Just cl clarity, and you know, I think when you're, if you're, if you've got a researcher role or a runner role, I'm, you know, I wouldn't be expecting to see tons of credits because it's an entry level role. So I think things I've seen lately that I think are really good is when somebody puts a quote from someone they've worked with before on there. So a bit like on LinkedIn. So I think LinkedIn is a really good place to look at the style of these things because if somebody says, "I would hire," you know, whoever in a heartbeat again. They're so dedicated and they're so hardworking. That looks absolutely amazing. And if you, you know, anything that you do that's extra, if you volunteer, and I realise it's a bit, you know, it's, it's hard to do that when you're starting out, but anything that you do that you think might lend itself to have, have those transferable skills, I'd get on there. But even if it's a one-pager, I don't think at run or research level, we're expecting to see loads of things. So don't feel you need to fill it up. Right. Yeah, and just to kind of add to what Joe's saying, um, I think it's really good to have bullet points right at the top. I mean, the first thing that should be on your CV is your name, your contact details, and also kind of what level you are. So if you're a researcher, if you're a runner, if you're a production secretary, have that right at the top. Um, and then make sure you've got bullet points of all your key skills. And these are what we call hard skills. So they're skills that you can do or you can't, something like if you drive, if you speak a language, if you've already had experience in studio or looked after talent. If you imagine if you're looking last minute for a runner and you've been tasked with finding someone that has experience with talent and can drive, then it's just literally kind of plowing through them. And if they're right at the top, then it's more likely that it'll be noticed. Right. One of the things that I, I find really useful, if you're really proud of a body of work that you've done, put a link to it. So, you know, because sometimes when you put a link, you suddenly come alive and you can actually see what you're doing. You can see the pictures that you're choosing and, and it suddenly gives you another layer to you. It's like another language that can actually allow, you know, the person looking at it to say, actually, I'd like to bring them in. Yeah. As you guys have done interviews and you've gone in and, you, you know, you've had to kind of like present yourself. How did, how did, you know, any barriers? How did that feel? Did you, were you what was your process, Eleanor? The weird, the weird thing is that it's called a chat. Don't be fooled, you're being interviewed. But you're being interviewed in a really informal way. And it's really confusing to begin with. You're just like, am I here having a cup of tea? Are we making friends or are you <laughs> Can I put my feet up on the table? <laughs> so I think, I mean, from my sort of perspective, I think you've got your skills that you can talk about. 
and you do the research and it depends what level you're at. I mean, when you're sort of younger, again, you have to read that company's website, you have to know their content, you have to have ideas on that content. You have to generally, across the board, watch documentaries or the sorts of programmes you want to make. You have to watch them, you have to have opinions on them. What do you like? What do you not like? Why do you like it? What directors do you like? Because the amount of times I was interviewed and someone said, what's your favourite film? Um, uh, it doesn't go down well. You know, if you want to make work, you should be knowing what you like and what you don't like and analysing it. I think that's a really big thing. Yeah, that's a great tip. And, and also, this industry is hugely about your skills, but do people like you? Do they get on with you? It is about yeah. that. I mean, whether that's right or wrong, you are hired a lot of the time on whether people like you, whether other people liked you, whether they've told people about you. So being friendly, being warm, being open, being enthusiastic, I think. Yeah, and before before you guys chime in, I just want to chime in there. You're, you walk through the door before your body does. You know, the way you feel walks through that door. So the moment you walk in, you're, the person that's interviewing is going to get a, a bit of a feel about who you are. So, you know, be so strong, be certain that you want this job, you know, and look like you have that leadership skill, that self-leadership skill, because it's going to make them feel even more comfortable. Yeah, so I, I, well, I completely agree. As, as, as everyone here has already said, uh, the interviews are like, they are suspiciously informal. <laughs> and, and, but don't be fooled. It's, it's, it's not. And um, yes, totally be enthusiastic. But enthusiasm can only get you so far, I think. Um, I think uh, if you were, for a show like The Last Leg or any topical comedy show, if you're being interviewed for something like that, and let's say you haven't in advance been told to prepare, come prepared anyway. And the preparation will usually, usually take a couple of forms. First one would be, uh, um, if it's a topical show, obviously read up on the news, find out what, what are the stories that week, what are people talking about, um, and, uh, and then think, what would that show do with that story? How would that show cover that story? Is there a particular way, have I got news for you would do it, or The Mash Report, or The Last Leg, or Mock the Week? Have a think about it. Obviously watch the show. I mean, that would be a nightmare turning up to an interview for The Last Leg and you've never seen the program before. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example of a, um, this is not me actually being interviewed, but me interviewing someone and I thought they really impressed. Uh, there was a story about a few months ago about, um, uh, so Theresa May was doing the rounds at the EU trying to get a deal and she turned up in her official car and uh, the bodyguard comes out and tries to open the door for the car but struggles, right? He can't get the door, he can't open the door. Uh, Angela Merkel's waiting there. It's really awkward, he finally opens the door and Theresa May comes out. The person I was interviewing, was a researcher at AP, said, oh, I thought that was quite a funny clip that could work on your show. We were like, yeah, we'd actually already seen the clip but that's okay, like they were obviously in the right frame of mind. And they then suggested, maybe what you could do is, in the studio, our presenter, Adam Hills, would show the clip and then afterwards say, you know what, we've actually got some exclusive access from inside the car. Let's take a look and see what happened. And then you have a Theresa May lookalike inside the car, holding on for dear life, trying not to get out. Now, that's quite a good idea. That's a really good idea. And that was a rare occasion, that was an occasion where someone came up with an idea during an interview with a well, that's not bad. And uh, we did it. <laughs> and we hired the person. So, you know, I think um, uh, even if you aren't asked to prepare, come prepared, think about the show and what would you do. Another, another small thing is, if it is an entertainment show, or um, I think, about, think a lot about guests. What kind of people have uh, been on the show? Who did you like? 
who did you not like? Who do you think would have spoken more? Um, and who do you want to see on the programmes? Who have you seen recently in, in Edinburgh or Surrey Theatre or they've done stuff, you know, that, that you think are great, but they're not, they're not out there and they should be out there more? Those are the sort of things I think would be quite helpful. And for, so I go and get interviewed a lot for um, writing jobs. So again, it's similar to factual and entertainment. The <coughs> scripted, you're called in for a general meeting, it's an interview, it's a bit like an awkward first date as you're trying to suss out, do they like me? But also, do you like them? Because it's going to be a working kind of partnership, hopefully. And it's good to, like everyone else has said, know what that production company makes, have watched some of it, and also to come with some of your own creative ideas. Because if you pitch something in the room that they like, they might follow that up and they might want to actually option it. So have a few things that you can pitch quite naturally and slip them into conversation and see if you're getting a warm response. If they're not liking it, maybe try and pitch something else, but don't keep going with the idea that they clearly don't like. And yeah, like make sure you know who you're meeting and what their kind of tastes are, because some of your ideas might go down really well. You might get some work from that. Right. And now you guys have been in the industry for quite a while. So the euphoria has gone after you've done your interview, you've got the job, you're like, yes. The first few years of grafting, what does that look like? What does that look like for a new entrant? I Honestly, the amount of times people in my family said, Eleanor, when are you going to go and get a sensible job? <laughs> when are you going to realise that this is too hard? And it is, I guess, I don't say this in a negative way. I think it's important to be realistic. It is not easy. This industry is not easy. Moving up, getting jobs, earning money, ne like not always being broke. It's, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And I think you have to be prepared for that. And I th so I think you have to want it really badly. Like I wanted yeah. it really badly. And even when my confidence was knocked, I wasn't getting jobs. And I do lose faith in myself. I still do now, of course. But there's something deep, deep inside me that has always been there that I can do this and I will show you I can do it. And you have to hold on to that really hard. That's my biggest, biggest tip about those first few years. I could have given up so many times. I was on the dole. I was on housing benefit. I mean, this was in the days when you could get it. Um, you know, to try, and make, to try and work for free. You don't have to work for free now, but I worked for free loads and I was broke and I was struggling and everyone was saying, do you think this is a good idea? I'm, so, I'm not giving up. But still moving on from that, you are freelance, correct? Yeah. And a freelance life as opposed to a staff life is very different. So how do you, how do you manage that? You know, lots of people think, I'll be freelance. You know, get loads of jobs, get paid more money, but there's tax. How does that, you know? Do you know what? I've had friends that have given up television purely because they cannot bear being freelance. So there are certain jobs where you can be staff and there are certain jobs you're freelance. If you're a director, you're always going to be freelance. And I have had friends that have left because they cannot bear not knowing that they're going to get the paycheck every single month. So I, at the beginning, it was really tricky. And like I said, I was often on the dole, getting housing benefit, really broke. Then I learned that whenever I had a job, I would weasel a little bit of money away so that when that job finished, if I couldn't get something straight away, I had something that I could fall back on. Because otherwise, you put yourself in a situation where you're panicking. You have to take the first job that comes your way. And there's also this thing when you're freelance where you do have to sort of curate your CV because there's a lot of snobbery in this industry. And so you can't just take any job that you're offered because it has to look good in your CV. And, and that's the constant. I've, I personally found that the hardest thing, getting the work, making the CV look good and earning money. 
So right. if you can ever save just a little bit, so you don't have to be so desperate, yeah. and always do it. Before I move on to you, Simran and Grace, you know, freelance, if you just think about it as your, your own business, so you will have to put a certain amount away to pay your taxes. You will have to put a certain amount away just in case you don't get that next job and work yourself as a business. Otherwise, you will fall into little pitfalls, and it's scary. And unless you're passionate and you know, or you have somebody who can back you, it can be pretty, pretty grim, be pretty hard. But the rewards, if you get it right, are amazing. Simran. Um, what is the, the first uh, question about the first few years? Uh, they were a mixture of fun and stress, yeah. I'd say. Uh, the fun comes from you're creating content that's going out like on a TV screen in the people's homes, uh, and you're um, meeting presenters and you're working with them and you're, and you're making friends with colleagues. Who are st I'm colleagues I worked with 10 years ago are still, like really close friends now. So that's all the fun. The stress is uh, oof, the stress is your whilst your mates have gone off and got proper jobs uh, that are salaried and uh, have security to them, you're not. And you're working on a four-week job or a three-month job that's super intense and you've got nothing afterwards. And that is when it can get really stressful. I remember um, I was doing uh, the... I worked on a show... Uh, the Michael McIntyre show, the critically panned Michael McIntyre show, <laughs> uh, um, and didn't rate well either. Um, and I was working on it, and towards the end of the production, I just figured I'll finish the production, and then I'll look for another another job. Um, we came to the final show, and I asked everybody, "What are you doing next? Like, well, what's your next work? Well, you know, it must be quite stressful. We haven't, we haven't got any work yet." Every single person had a job lined up, except me. I hadn't had anything lined up because they'd started looking about two or three weeks towards the end of the production. And that's when I realized, ah, oh, there's a game to be played here. Mm. You can't just work, and then when it's over, you just think something's gonna turn up. Like, it, it will, with determination, it will turn up. There's no doubt about it, it will turn up. But when? But when, yeah. <laughs> but when. We've all had barren, uh, yeah. barren periods. Yeah. yeah, it will, and you know, it, it can take a long time. And that is important to say, that the companies you're working for should I'd be understanding of that. And I would think anywhere that I've ever worked, if I've got a freelance team um, in, that I expect those three weeks before they end, that they're going to have me morning meetings or afternoon meetings. And that and don't, because I used to just sit there and feel sick about the fact that I had to run quickly from an edit house to another place in Soho because I had to do my meetings after six. And But actually, probably didn't need to panic and stress about that so much because people understand, because we've all been there and we've all done it that you do accept that people have got to go and take those meetings. Um, so yeah, sorry, yeah, just yeah, on, no, that, yeah, on that yeah. point. Yeah. 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 Great. So, uh, for yeah. a few years, so I'm just coming to the end of my third year of being a TV writer. And yeah, it's a mixture. It still feels quite stressful, but it has been a lot of fun along the way. Um, I, like different to these guys, I went through the kind of academic route and I got a nine to five job not so much nine to five but working as a doctor and i shifting from that kind of regular paycheck to freelancing has been really really difficult and especially doing it sort of in my early 30s when most of my friends are kind of moving up in the pay scales and i was going down to essentially having no income and moved in with my lovely parents who are here and was you know at home trying to get work and sitting at my laptop and feeling incredibly anxious about, you know, what am I doing with my life when I've got a job that actually pays quite well and could 
you know, made me quite comfortable. And it comes back to that feeling um, that you were talking about that I'd had the whole way through medical school that I'd had when I was, you know, a teenager, as long as I could remember, that I wanted to write. And the only time that I felt that I was myself was when I was writing or thinking up stories. I'd be on the wards in the hospital and I would be daydreaming about writing and it never went away. And I used to wish that I didn't have this other feeling of I would rather be sat in a room on my own writing and I just was, you know, as passionate about my day job. But it never, ever went away. And I think if you have that kind of feeling, then you've just got to kind of give it a shot and just go for it and see what happens because otherwise you will never know. And I think it would have been like my biggest regret in life to not have kind of jumped into the deep end and resigned from my job and you know become penniless temporarily because yeah. <laughs> a job does come and yeah I think that's the, the biggest stress of those these last three years has been trying to balance not knowing where the money's coming from and trying to build up a CV that you feel represents the work you want to mm. to make especially as a writer I think that, you know, there is a lot of snobbery about what you do. So my, I remember my agent saying right in the beginning, I don't necessarily want you to do any daytime drama, continuing drama. But to me, like, if I'd had a job on something like Casualty, that would have been really great because I had lots of medical <laughs> background. But she was very clear, I don't want you applying for any of those schemes. I don't want you to do that because you'll be pigeonholed in this direction. And I think you're more suited to this. And so that meant there were certain things that I just didn't apply for wasn't put forward for that would have maybe given me a salary but it has kind of paid off in you know in those three years and I think that's the thing is I think you do have to sort of accept in the early days that you are making a sacrifice you're not probably going to earn a lot of money that you are going to be out of work every now and then but that in the end hopefully that will pay off um talking about early days then Sean what you know a researcher or a runner you know I don't know if the days are still there where they have to make tea for all the directors or so, but what, what are the, 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 you know, the, the things that runners or researchers have to do in their first few years in the industry? So to give you an example, we have a production at the moment that's called Back of the Net for Amazon Prime. Um, and we have two sorts of runners on that. We have production runners who are very much office-based and they may be going out on shoots, helping out with looking after the kit, or with the talent that's there, making sure that they're happy, they've got tea and coffee, maybe just having a chat and keeping them kind of entertained. Um, Also, if they're in the office, they might be helping out with the research. The the researchers might say, oh, can you find a clip of this footballer doing something like this? Um, And they also do the studio, and studio is very different. So in studio, um, you are looking after the guests that are there, you're picking up from reception, you're making sure that you go to makeup, you are helping the production coordinators make sure that the production is running smoothly. Um, And also just doing anything that anybody asks of you and saying, is there anything else I can do? So, and then in terms of researchers, I mean, there is a wide variety of researcher roles. Um, We have BT researchers that are just looking for clips for back of the net. We have uh, people doing the biographies for the guests. You could be, I mean, that's just one production. So there's all different, all different researcher roles. And also your first couple of years, there's also production management. So you might go from runner to production management assistant in the BBC Mm -hmm. or production secretary anywhere else. And that's kind of helping with the finances and the logistics. And that, 
I, I started off doing production management and I probably had a much easier time in my first couple of years because it is a skill that is very much sought after. Um, I was luckily never out of work because everybody needs a good production management assistant or it's, less, it's just less competition yeah. and the contracts are longer. So if you are organised and you like finances and you like thinking for other people logistically, then that would be a good route yeah. to go down. Yeah. So after, you know, you're in the job, you've done it for about two or three years, you freelance and kind of like et and then not et and then et again and then for a few years as well. So then there comes the networking and then you find out there are schemes and there are training schemes here and BBC Channel 4 doing some which I'll tell you about in a minute. How does that work for BBC Three? You know, the networking and the training and the schemes. How does people find out about that? What What are they about? So, um, BBC Academy is a, is a great resource, and all jobs go onto the BBC Careers website. And I know, for instance, we've we I think they're still live. We've had re some really good jobs for BBC Three in bases in Birmingham and in London, and and um, I'm not assuming you're all from London because you're <coughs> we're here in London. But um, one thing that I would say really helps because I. I I'm now not freelance for the first time in 14 years, so I nearly have always been freelance my whole career. And one thing I would say, just on that earlier note before the, talking about the schemes, is that um, compromising is, is quite a good thing to do. So when you're young and you haven't got dependents and there's no reason you couldn't be anywhere, I remember being offered a job on a Thursday in Birmingham and I was very happily living my life in London. It was to start on Monday, but it was going to give me my first research credit. I'd been running at the BBC for over a year. And I thought, I haven't really got anything to lose. And yeah, it's a bit uncomfortable because you've got to make new friends and all your life is in, you know, but you will miss weddings and you will miss all of this stuff's going to happen in this career anyway. And it was the best move I've ever made. And it was a job that was meant, I was meant to be there for 10 weeks. And I think I ended up on and off staying in Birmingham for about two or three years. And it was great. And I think you need to compromise. Yeah. And so when jobs come up, don't just necessarily say, oh, that's in Leeds, because there's going to be loads of potentially Leeds. I'm not going to do it because... If you're young and there's, there's not really, there's not normally a reason you can't do it. Um, so yeah, the schemes and and BBC is a, BBC is a great place. You get um, so at BBC Three, um, as I say, we take development really seriously and we give people lots of opportunities. And some people probably work. It's very unlike the rest of the industry because some people are acting up quite quite often in that they're going into roles that we're we're going to help shape them for, um, and. Um, We've got the support of the of the wider BBC, which is great. So we've we've got people that work for us who have been helping. You know, we do the social content for Strictly and RuPaul's Drag Race, and you know the variety and and um, the opportunities you get as being part of, of that big machine. Actually, is it's it's really good, and yeah. they're really good opportunities to collaborate. Yeah, and as the Channel Four part of the Channel Four broadcast, I mean, I, I totally agree mm. about you know compromise. When I finished working at MTV back in the day, there was a job as a, and I was a producer director at the time, but there was an opportunity to do a five camera gallery director um, in Southampton. I was like, I ain't going to Southampton, <laughs> um, but I had no kids and I had no mortgage and I was living with my parents. And it suddenly dawned on me if I wanted that opportunity to get that skill and to put that on my CV, I would have to actually move. And I did. And it was the best thing in my life. So, you know, at the moment, we, you know, I don't know if you've heard that Channel 4 has now gone up to Leeds and Glasgow and, and Bristol. So if there are opportunities there, just do it. You know, it may be a little bit difficult. You've got attachments and you've got, you know, kids who are in schools or whatever. But, you know, the opportunities are still there. 
And if you're looking to actually, you know, take that step up, it's a, it's a really great thing to do. And in our schemes, we also have um, production training schemes. We have spotlight on directors where we're looking at specifically for female directors. And those are going on. We have um, four stories where we take directors and writers and put them together and create um, um, films and we, we get them TX. So, you know, thing is, is look around, look on the website, do your research, find out where the training schemes are. And everyone seems to be schemed out sometimes. And sometimes the training schemes don't actually um, say what they, 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 they say on the tin, do what they say on the tin, but you make it happen. Because at the end of the day, this is your career, this is your life, this is where you want to go, and you're passionate about it. So you make it happen. There's, you know, they've always got to be, you know, the industry will give, but you need to be able to give back to yourself, most importantly, 150%. And that's when people will start to recognize you. Any just, to, just to add to that, I mean, there's, I think there's, there, there's still a sort of London-centric slight snobbery about mm. it all happens in London. I know we're in London now, but... You know, Channel 4's movement, uh, move to Leeds is a really, really big thing. It's not a distraction. It's a massive thing. And they're really putting a lot into it. Um, and some of the best programmes at Channel 4 actually come from regional voices. Shameless, Dairy Girls. You know, these are programmes out there that can define a channel that don't need to come from London. So I would really think about outside the M25. It's it, uh, yeah. for all of you. I think it's it's a proper it's a proper opportunity. Absolutely. And before we go into questions, one of the reasons why... And it's probably the reasons why BBC went up to, um, you know, Salford, up to, mm -hmm. to, to Manchester. It's because, you know, diversity is really important to the creative industries. You know, the more experiences, the more thoughts, the more ideas that we can get from a whole group of British nationals, the more richer our, our creative industry becomes. And we become, you know, leaders in that in the world. And we are, we know, we're very different. Our mindset is very different because we're an island. You know, so when, you, when there are opportunities, take those opportunities because they will only enrich your lives and, you know, make us a, a social discourse, but also enrich the, the creative industries as well so that, the, the, you know, the greater, wider audience will get that benefit. So we've got like about, I know it's really hot in here, right? Is everyone really hot? <laughs> but we've got, some, um, we've got some time for um, questions. And I really would love you guys to take your, your pens out and to get your, your, your papers out and write you know, some of these notes down because it's really important for us that you, know, you, you come and talk to us as, you know, as broadcasters and as um, head of talent and to these guys who you know, had the experience of, of going through you know, bottom up of their experiences. So any questions? And do we have a microphone? We have a microphone. Let's get this lady in the white here. And if you can just, um, yeah, please stand up and tell us your name and who your question is to. Um, my name's Gaia. My question is to uh, Elena. Elena. Um, it was just about being a female director. Um, and it was about kind of putting the word female before your profession. And how do you know when you're working with people if they're actually interested in working with women and kind of narrating and highlighting, I don't know, women's struggles and problems or that you felt like they're just trying to tick a box and trying to just do it because it's, it's current and it's, yeah. and it's necessary. So like finding that balance between, you know, do you actually want to work with me because... It's, it's, you've made a really interesting point, actually, because I've just sort of done one of my the things that really irritates me, which is referring to myself as, as a female, female director, director. Yeah, because I'm just a director. I know. Why do I have just a director? Yeah. Exactly. And but I guess I've come up in the industry. You know, I've been doing it for oh, quite a while, and I think things are changing now, mm -hmm. from what I can see. 
but it has been really hard mm -hmm. to be um, coming up from mm -hmm. sort of when I started, which was about, God, I'm going to give my age away, but I suppose I've been doing it for about 15, 16 years. And when I started, it was much harder, I think. You, not as, a, not as a researcher, not as an assistant producer, when you start directing, that's when things start getting really hard. And actually, weirdly, they start getting harder the sort of more successful you become. Mm -hmm. The more you want the best, best, best work, the harder it is as a female director. And that's where, when I've started becoming frustrated, which is why I talked about the BAFTA breakthrough thing, is that I want to be on that list of five people that can make that. And I often wouldn't be on it because I was a woman or that I was just slightly overlooked, even though I was as good as the men. Mm -hmm. So I suppose now I'm attaching this sort of female director thing to it because I feel like we have to sort of push mm -hmm. to be noticed more. I am just a director, mm -hmm. but I have been called about jobs, which is really interesting with the box ticking thing. Mm -hmm. um, we're looking for a female director, we're doing this subject, and the subject will be female. Um, yeah. I don't know, honestly, if I would have been called about anorexia, um, apart from I knew the creative director that called me, but would I have been called about anorexia if I wasn't a female director? I don't know, because everyone felt like a woman should be making that film. So I think there is box ticking that's going on now, but it's a good thing. Yeah. Because the more female directors that are out there, the easier it will become and the more our voices heard. And we do sometimes have something different to say about the world and a different way of saying it. So it's been hard, it's been hard. But I really look around now and I think the female directors that I see that are a different generation coming up, I think they're finding it slightly yeah. easier, which is brilliant. It's great. Thank you very much. Any yeah. other questions? Any questions? Just move along the line here, lady. Um, so my question is also for um, Elena, but I suppose also the other women on the panel. Um, so in such a competitive industry, obviously you need to be quite assertive and you need to be putting yourself forward for things, but you also talked about the importance of likability and assertiveness is often not seen as a very likable trait in women. So have you had any difficulty with that and how have you balanced those two things? I think it's difficult in life, isn't it? <laughs> Generally. I think it's been really interesting for me being on the other side now for, for quite a while. And I had someone come in recently for an AP position, I think. It was an AP position within our social team. So it wasn't classic AP. So it, it was quite a step up for someone. She came in, she was great. She was really passionate. And um, when I got to that cringy question when you asked what somebody's rate is, she went, oh, it's this, but I would probably do it for less. And I just said, please, never ever say that again to, just don't say it because if we wanted if we wanted to negotiate with you afterwards we would regardless yeah. of whether you said that and I and this sounds I'm coming from a feminist perspective but I've never had a man say anything like that to me in a room and yet women quite often are saying similar things like oh I'm really happy to like compromise on the mm. and it's like no own your space and be friendly and open and and all of those things when you go to to meet somebody but you can absolutely be assertive and I've and I'm not naturally in my life I don't go around saying I'm good at this and I'm good at that but when I go to the chats I nearly always say I'm really good with contributors I'm excellent at delivering a series I've always held on to lasting relationships with contributors I can find really good stories and I'm excellent with story and here's my example of when I'm excellent with, and because you have to say those things about yourself but if your present if your demeanor is friendly and warm and, and open. They're expecting you to say those things. So I think you can. I think you can be pretty assertive. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I I just think that you know there's a difference between being assertive and being aggressive. Mm. And assertive is a positive trait. Aggressive can be a negative trait most of the time. Mm. Women can be really assertive. And uh, and as as Joe was saying that 
men will, normally will overshoot what they can do, you know, whereas women undershoot. They're like, you know, they've got lots of experience, but they say, well, maybe I could do it, I don't know. And they won't apply for jobs that they actually have skills for. Mm. So be assertive, own your value, own your worth. And as long as you know that you've got those, there's nothing wrong in saying, I'm great at this and try me out. It is, it is hard from being on the other side of it because my personality is not naturally like I'm really great at this. So I've really struggled with that sometimes. And I think I really had to learn, especially when it comes to filming, because I, I film myself. And there is often a perception that female directors are just not as good as male directors at shooting, that we're just not as technical, that we don't have as good an eye. Again, I think it's changing. When I was starting out, it was really hard. And I used to go for interviews, I'd be like, what's your shooting like? And I'd be like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> no one wants to hear that. No. <laughs> oh, and I had to like drum it into myself. Oh, I'm a really good shooter. I've got a really good eye. I'm really confident. I'm really good technically. So, and even sometimes yeah. I didn't even know, because I took a job when I made a life and death row film in America for the BBC. I'd never used prime lenses before. I'd never used this camera. They were like, you're going to have to shoot it on this with these lenses. I'm sitting in the interview thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I had like, and I was like, absolutely fine, no problem. I had one day with that camera before I went to America. You suck it up, you throw yourself into it, and you just go for it. It's what yeah. would a man do. It's like, I'm totally. living my mantra of what would a man do. Sorry. Right. So practice in the mirror being assertive. Yeah. <laughs> um, any questions over here? Uh, should we have that lady with the hand up? Any guys have any questions, by the way? <laughs> hey, um, I'm Rachel. Um, I'm currently a researcher. My question is, um, like, I've got my CV from talent manager and stuff like that. But what I find frustrating sometimes is, say, for example, there's a casting researcher kind of role, and I've done a few research, I've got a few research credits, but for one of them, it wouldn't let me apply for the role because I haven't got a casting researcher credit and so a part of me is like I'm, I'm passionate for it and like casting is something like I'm looking to potentially go into and so but I won't be seen and it's like how, how how do you kind of look at a CV and obviously there's skills and you need skills for a certain role but then also taking a chance on someone who might not necessarily have that casting research credit, but might have the skills for that role. So it's like, how, how do you sell yourself in that way, in, in the sense of getting yourselves roles that you do want, but you might not have the kind of special credit, credit. for? Sure. Sam? Well, I mean, first of all, you can circumvent the talent manager system because people have done it to me before. They've seen, oh, I've, I've seen this role on talent manager. I really wanted to apply for it, but I couldn't come through the system. And then it's just, like I said, that relatable, like, that relatable experience. So you're a researcher. You've probably talked to experts. You've probably spoken to contributors. You probably had to go out and find contributors or experts about something so it's just kind of making making it known and if there's a particular company that you're interested in just ask them like the either the talent manager or the production manager or somebody in editorial just for a general chat and just let them know that you're passionate about casting and if you are passionate about casting definitely put it on your cv um, there should be like a little kind of a little explanation about yourself which is three lines which kind of your past your present and your future and in that future that put that you're looking to transition into casting roles because people will take notice of that. Great idea. Any other questions? Oh, we've got a gentleman in the front being assertive. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Uh, 
I'm John. Um, uh, I was very fortunate I got a scholarship from BAFTA to do screenwriting at age, which is coming up to the end of now. So this is a question for, perhaps for Grace, but for everybody as well. Should I, I, My background was I was in the army for two decades, so I've come in very new, very fresh to it. So I've got sort of no understanding at all of the industry, really, other than what I'm building up in the last year. Should I focus on my writing and getting writing jobs, or should I consider as well looking at kind of building up my more general knowledge through research jobs, um, development, script reading, and so on? Okay. okay. Well, I would say focus on the writing if that's what you want to do. And right. um, so, having like come from another career straight into writing, I think that you sometimes feel like you've missed out on you know as you're saying you've been in another career for like two decades you feel like you're already behind everyone else so I would just say focus on the writing and actually not knowing anything about the industry either when I started it didn't hinder me in getting those first jobs because what people were interested in was whether I could write a script and whether I could like get on board with whatever idea they were developing and nobody ever asked me if I'd done anything else. And it was often seen as a kind of training ground when I was on a job. So um, I did like a, an apprenticeship with Carnival Films and they took me under their wing and took me to meet all the different heads of departments on set and you know, made sure that I had a good understanding. And they, they didn't expect me to know anything. And I think in my first writing job as well, it was a similar thing of come on set, meet people, ask people what they do, and have an understanding of how what you write in your script will be will affect what happens on set, because those are the things that you need to know. So you don't write like a scene where there are fireworks going off and like buildings are collapsing if the budget is like this. And yeah, so that kind of thing. So I think if your writing is good and if you want to get work, you need to have some good spec scripts that will help you get an agent and then you kind of go from there. I don't think necessarily trying to do all the other stuff will help your writing career specifically advance, but it would help you in terms of the production side of things. Brilliant. Great. Any other questions? Let's go to the lady right down there. The other side. I'm making this guy run, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hello, thank Hi. you. Um, I'm Anila, I'm a freelance journalist. Um, my question is, how do you go from being a producer and going from that credit to being an on-screen presenter slash journalist? Because I suppose everything you've all said has really resonated. So I've kind of done that move. I moved to the Northeast to get my producer credits and I thought, you know what, I'm not married, I've got no kids, I can do it. And it was the best thing ever. So I really do recommend that to everyone, move if you can. Um, I've done that whole um, displaying the keenness. I think some of the things that you guys said about like having that passion and you wake up every day and you're like, this is what I need to be doing. And it's that kind of frustration that when you're like, oh my God, I was born to do this and I don't quite know how to get there. It's, it's that, that is what I am going through right now. It's not really easy to say in a room full of people because it's something I'm addressing every day and working towards and doing social media vis uh, videos, posts, everything. So how do I transition from producer to presenter? Sure. Um, well, my kind of experience of this would be when I was working in news and quite often the broadcast journalists 
would also do the presenting of their stories. Is that something you're doing at the moment? Um, so I try. Um, I'm with BBC freelancing with the World Service. So I've done some things where I do kind of explainers on air. Um, I'm with the Telegraph as well, freelancing for them. So I do their audio news bulletins. Um, I've got TV presenting credits. I had my own show for a full year um, on a network channel and I presented for the BBC Asian Network. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of got all those credits, but it's just not leading mm. to something full time, I suppose. I suppose getting, getting an agent if, I mean, is it news presenting you want to do? Well, it's, it's um, I would say it's more like a news chat show kind of thing. So I'm in news at the moment. I think that's like the perfect foundation to understand what's happening. But I'm really interested in talking to people and sharing their stories, which is why I love the World Service, because I'm able to talk to people, even if it's on the phone, mm -hmm. somewhere in like a remote part of the world, and then share their story on air, even if it's through a presenter. So that's what I'm doing at the moment to just fulfill that desire and passion to share people's stories because that's ultimately okay. what I want to do. But really, ultimately, I want to do it myself and be presenting that story. Yeah. Who do you want to be like? like who, who, who would be a good example of someone's career who you think, oh, I'd, I'd love to have a piece of that. I'd love to be doing that. Uh, Stacey Dooley. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because 100%. Yeah. And there's a lot of sort of... Um, yeah people that want to, to be Stacey out there. But you've got the journalistic chops, so that in itself is is amazing because you can't... There's a lot of people, it's really hard to find people... We've just done um, a really great series on three called Hometown, I don't know if anyone saw it, um, where Mabeen, who is a journalist, there's a, uncovers a big story. Um, it's basically about drugs and grooming of young people in Huddersfield, and he... He's a journalist and has worked for the BBC a lot, but he's from that exact town where it was happening. So it was just this perfect example of somebody going to investigate something that was really close to him, running into people who he knew. It, it felt unlike anything I'd seen before. And so I think sometimes if you've, I think if you've got a bit of access or if you've got something, if you've got a unique story to tell that you hadn't perhaps you hadn't thought of it that way before because you think well I'm within my, within the structure of BBC at the moment so therefore but if it's something else there's something that you know about or just something that you can bring something that's different to it um, I might have a little insight because I was in your position um, years ago um, as a producer director and then transforming into presenter and then public speaker and it's one and I see that a lot as an on-screen um, um, uh, exec, diversity exec on Channel 4, I see a lot of people like yourself coming toward, to, to us. And my advice is, one, um, yes, try, try and get an agent if you can. Your agent will represent you, help you with your showreel, get you to um, the, the people who need to see your talent. Um, there are lots of, right now we've just been running a, um, a four talent, faces of four um, open screening. So there's lots of um, you know, open talent screening where people are going to be, you know, the public are invited to um, do an open screening. That's another way. And they, if you're really, really good and a broadcaster spots you or an indie uh, production company spots you, they'll bring you, the, you on and represent um, you to us as the broadcaster. The other thing is that, you know, if you know production companies who are looking for new, fresh, emerging talent and they've got, you know, developments or they've got uh, script ideas that they want to place um, their talent in, look for those. So it's, it's got to, you know, be a lot of research to find out who's looking for talent and then put yourself out there. 
And if you're looking for, what did you say, that chat show that was talking to people? Yeah, yeah. You've got to look at the genres of what the broadcasters are now pushing, what they're looking at. Because, you know, there was a time when everyone was looking for talk shows and not so much now. You know, it, it moves and it kind of like the formats change. So you've got to watch out what are the formats right now that people, that broadcasters are looking for and slot yourself in there. And, and as Joe says, you know, if you're really, really looking for that, that um, you know, that Stacey Dooley investigative, you know, Louis Theroux type of thing, go and find yourself a story. Get access to those people. Find people who um, have those stories and you could talk to them. You know, so there are loads of different ways, but maybe we can talk about it um, later on. Thank you. So we've got like about one more minute. Uh, so uh, let's get one question in and then we're just going to wrap that up. Let's go to that lady over there real quickly. That's the definition of a runner. <laughs> a lot of pressure now to have a good question. Um, so I guess like a lot of people in the room, I'm passionate about film and television. Uh, but I only have credits as um, in short films and you know feature films, that sort of stuff. Um, so I feel self-conscious when I actually get up. So I feel self-conscious when I am um, writing a cover letter for a, um, a job in TV, where I say that where I say that I'm passionate about TV, but I have nowhere to prove it, no way to prove it because it just hasn't happened yet. So I just wonder, like, what goes on in your heads when you see a TV like that, and what could I do to prove that I am? Um, passionate about TV when I just don't like I have three three years experience nothing to to prove in that in that regard. Um, well, there are the, the skills are transferable, so I think probably Sean would say a similar thing that um, a lot of what you're you're doing on your short films is is similar. I suppose long productions do work in a different way, and it's you know you've probably been gathered with a small group of people and um, you've all been invested in something that you're creating create, you know, creatively together and then you get onto a bigger production depending on what it is and there's lots of teams of different things and, and so it probably does work in a slightly different way but I wouldn't think that a CV with a short film on is a, is a barrier to, to get into television at all as long as you're realistic about what level. I think if you've been directing short films... Um, and I don't know what, what pedigree the, the short films are or, or anything, but if you've been directing, you're not necessarily going to come into a directing job within television, just because it's, it's slightly different medium, really. And so I think it's being realistic about what's, what would be the level within television yeah. that you'd work at. Is that fair? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And the roles in film and TV translate slightly differently. So if you've been producing... Um, quite a lot of that is organisational skills rather than editorial. So producer in TV and film means something a little bit different because the skills are different. So it's understanding the roles in each and how where your experience would sit from film or short films in television and kind of focusing on that. Yeah. But as Joe said, it's being kind of realistic about what sort of level you can come into in television. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we're out of time now. It's bang three o'clock. You've been wonderful. Thank you so very much. Thanks for joining us. And remember, you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.